0: This is Sawyer Racinelli on the Full Circle Podcast with 360 Preps. This is the Full Circle Podcast with 360 Preps. I am your host, Joshua Hart, here with Preps reporter Meg Wachnick. Uh, On today's episode, we're going to give uh, a look into some of the other fall sports we haven't talked about outside of football. We're going to give you guys some sleeper teams that we might not have talked about in the world of football. And uh, we're going to give you the three best games to see in week one. Later on in the podcast, we will have Union head football coach Rory Rosenbach. He talks a little bit about uh, the possible pressure of being the defending champion. Uh, He talks about his day-to-day as he prepares for his week one game against Mountain View. And he talks about what has made the Union Titans so successful as an overall athletics program. So that is what's on tap for today's Full Circle Podcast, Episode 3. We want to start uh, today's episode just talking about some of the other sports we haven't touched on in the first two episodes. Uh, the the fall sports season is now in full swing, and uh, we have you know girls soccer and volleyball teams that are uh, preparing to for successful campaigns. Uh, let's start in volleyball. Who's who's the teams to watch? What's the storylines to look forward to this season in volleyball, Meg?
1: You know, the last couple of years, the the two way Greater St. Helens League has been the cream of the crop when it comes to teams in Clark County advancing to the state tournament. Three years ago, Woodland made a surprise run uh, during Jeff Nesbitt's final season as the Beavers head coach. Uh, last season, obviously, Ridgefield won its first state championship since 1991, and they returned the league MVP in Delaney Nickel, who also was our All-Region Player of the Year. This league overall is just very top-heavy with a lot of talent, and the thing that makes it neat is so many of these girls play on the sub same club tournament teams together. XL is one of the, the premier club teams in this area. So you got Ridgefield, Woodland, which has got a lot of rich talent, Columbia River, which upset Ridgefield in last year's district championship match to end up placing fourth at state, and then Washugal Panthers, led by Emily Johnson, a setter going to Eastern Washington who... This is a team that last year reached the postseason for the first time in three decades. So they're going to be looking for that senior leadership to really carry Washugo. But those four teams, and I know there's only four berths get uh, to get to districts, and I, I see those four teams really kind of rising once again to the cream of the top, top like I mentioned.
0: Yeah, it's been interesting to watch that league uh, over the, the course of the past few years because there, there seems to be every year you go, oh, the, the, this team graduated a lot. I remember after after Nesbitt's final year, they had a new coach, they graduated a whole bunch, and then Danny Hutton leads them on another successful campaign. And uh, I really like Woodland in that, that league because of Emma Sweat in the center of everything. She's such a talented player. But you're right, from top to bottom in that league, there's, there's a ton of talented volleyball players, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch you know who who rises to kind of the level that's expected from some of those those coaches that demand it from them
1: yeah and those four teams that we talked about a lot of those sets last season wasn't a three-set sweep a lot of them went four even sometimes five set matches so um, I expect kind of a similar result coming this time around
0: Right on. Uh, as far as girls soccer goes, I've I, I've been in touch with with some of the coaches um, this off season, in, including Philly O'Finnegus of uh, out at Columbia River. He's of course got another great soccer team. Uh, you know, in in the waiting at, at for the Chieftains. Uh, they they were finished third last year, and they have you know seven. Uh, you know or six final four appearances in the last ten years. That's just a program that's continuously successful. And it was interesting talking to Philly about what makes his his program so consistent. And he and he he mentioned a, a quote from a girl that came up to him and said, "Coach, I I think we do more off the field culture building than we do technical training on the field." And and that's such an an interesting thing to hear from from a coach that's been successful at the highest level and. And to, to see how important they take that. And, and he said early in his, his coaching career, he was all about the wins and losses. That's how he defines success. He, right. he said he was, a young, he was a young guy. And now he, he, he is more, he's more impressed when or he's more inspired when he gets a letter from a former player that says, you know, hey, I, I'm using this thing you taught me in everyday right. life.
1: That's great that the players like that are seeing that because athletics, as we know, plays such a pivotal role in the educational experience. Um, Let's talk about Camus a little bit. This is a team uh, who made the state championship game last season. Maddie Kemp has graduated. She actually, unfortunately, just blew out her knee um, kind of doing some preseason work at Gonzaga, so she will miss her freshman season. But they come in uh, a lot of expectations, but also a new coach but a familiar face. Let's talk about the the paper makers.
0: Yeah, Carrie Tomasetti has been in the program 13 years and I asked her what she's going to do different than Roland Minder who was at at the you know kind of the face of a, a top-notch program. They also have six final fours in the last 10 years. So, she said I'm gonna keep everything status quo for now. And, and I obviously have my own teaching style that will be different, but we're gonna try to keep everything the same. And then if things need to be tweaked because of how that interacts with my coaching style, then then that's the way it's gonna be. But she said, what's kept this program consistent and what we wanna to continue to embrace is how passionate the fan support is around Camas and, and why that encourages girls to, to, and demands girls to play at a high level is because even, fans that are not necessarily part of the soccer community still come out and support their games. And and that's kind of something special, I think across campus athletics, that's made them kind of a, a good program overall, but she, she's trying to really embrace that aspect of it. And, and they demand such, such, they have such high expectations for their girls that I don't see really them slipping at all because she's familiar with those expectations the players are familiar with those expectations they don't really settle for anything less so Mm -hmm. I expect them to, to once again be in the title mix
1: we can't forget about Kingsway Christian this is a program last year under Tina Ellerson who has since stepped down made its deepest run in school history falling in the one a championship game. Mackenzie Ellerson has graduated. She's now playing and starting at Washington State, but do you think maybe the Knights can still have a little bit of that firepower uh, making a run in, in the one A race? Uh,
0: they not only graduate Ellerson, they graduate a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would expect I would expect probably La or White Salmon to step into into that kind of leading that that front runner part of that league in the trico uh Le center you know ha- has some good talent white salmon returns almost everybody from a team that didn't do too bad last year so I-, I would expect you know one of those two teams to probably step into that that role just because of how much uh kingsway graduate and anytime you have a kind of uh game changing player like mackenzie ellerson it 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 can define a program so it will be interesting to see how the knights recover but i would i'd would probably pick la Center or white salmon to step into that kind of league front runner role um hopping back into uh football uh we are finally at week one yes finally let's, let's
1: have a, a mini celebration right now this is something that i've been itching to get out at games i mentioned that in the podcast last week and we finally have games this friday night so welcome to week one everybody
0: yeah by the time this podcast comes out you guys will have just one sleep left until you get to go watch some football so you know listen to this podcast get excited wake up the next morning and it's football friday yes uh but we're talking about sleep who is some of or who is your sleeper team who's the team that maybe hasn't been getting the headlines this off season but that could surprise some people
1: This might be my favorite category when talking about football teams. Um, This is a team that I'm talking about reached the postseason just three seasons ago. This senior class is familiar about what it takes to get to the postseason. But it hasn't had a winning season since 2008, and I think that changes this year, and I'm talking about the Evergreen Plainsmen. They might be the fastest team in Clark County when you look at their skill guys. I mentioned Zyle Griffin is – Probably the best overall athlete with his speed and athleticism. I think he's a next-level receiver. He's been a two-time all-league guy, everything from tailback to receiver, slot. He's a great special teams guy. He was a turn man. But Jalen Fight, Jonathan Simon, uh, Devontae Deloney's transferring, spent the past couple seasons as Seton Catholic. He'll be their star in tailback. I would love to see some 40 times on these guys. I think I think they're legit, and I think that speed can really make a difference for them. It would surprise me more about Evergreen if they didn't start out 4-0 or even 5-0 looking at their schedule. They open with an in-district rival, Heritage, and they got Centralia, Lakewood, Rochester, and Bellingham the first five weeks before opening league play against Kelso. Those are all winnable games in my opinion. And again, I think the speed will separate Evergreen from, from the rest of the pack as far as trying to get a W. How about you? Who's your sleeper? Team?
0: Well, well, to touch on Evergreen real quick, there they say speed kills, but only if. The coaches put him in the right position to right. do so and so right. it'll be interesting to see if Christian Swain can take that group and, and what he does to get those guys in space you know it, it's so important for for those guys to get a lot of touches and get them in spots where they can succeed so you know I, I'd be interested to see what that those play schemes look like and especially early on you know how they how they kind of adjust to having all that talent so yeah
1: I mean they're essentially going with a, a familiar base a, a one back four receiver offense with tay marks griffin fight and jonathan simon and that's a lot of weapons on the outside for Cardamondo. we mentioned him in our inaugural episode about stepping in as a first year high school quarterback so a lot of weapons to throw to can make his job probably a little bit easier on friday nights
0: (laughs) The the team I'm looking at uh it it doesn't have as many weapons but the, the the weapon they have has a has a great chance to succeed. The Castle Rock Rockets this year I I think are going to surprise a lot of people. It's the second year for Coach Aaron Gehring. He's a, he's a former college college player. He knows his stuff. He's got a great coaching staff around him. And now he has Jonah McGarry coming in from Fife to play left tackle. He's got a sophomore tight end in Landon Gardner, uh, Coleman Guerrero an all-league tight end from last year is making the move to fullback, and his junior running back Wyatt Partridge is coming off in a 1,000-yard season. If I'm looking at that group of people up front, I'm running power left every single time. Every single time. And just running running behind McGarry, running behind Gardner, running behind Guerrero, and I'm running that until somebody can stop me. And I, you know, when I when I saw that transfer and, and I started looking at their roster, that's a team that I went, hey, maybe they can keep up with the atop that league, because I don't know many teams that have the size up front that can stop one play. And if I'm them, I'm running it until until that somebody stops it. And I don't think many teams are going to be able to. So I, I, I'm i really interested to see what the Castle Rock Rockets can do this year as they, as they try to make a return to the postseason.
1: Now, if the last name of McGarry sounds familiar to folks in Clark County, it is. This is the brother of Caleb McGarry, uh, the University of Washington tackle who was just taken by the Atlanta Falcons in the first round. If you remember, the McGarry's actually spent – a lot of their time, what, when, when Caleb and his brother were growing up maybe seven, eight years ago, they grew up in Amboy, and Caleb actually spent his freshman season at Battleground High School, so the, the family moved to Fife, and kind of the rest is history, but now they're kind of making the way down south again, and, and like you said, have that kid at left tackle, left side, run play every single time. Yep. They're going to see a lot of success with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's gonna that TriCo League, I think, is going to be really, really interesting this year, top to bottom, and and we talked about it on some of our other podcasts. Um, but for now, a, a team that is not a sleeper, a team that has all the eyes on them, is the Union Titans. We're going to jump into our interview with Union Football Head Coach Rory Rosenbach. Mm-hmm. We're here at Union High School with Rory Rosenbach, head coach of the 4A defending champion Union Titans. Um, Rory, first, I just want to start off with with what this um, you know what this past couple weeks has been like as as you guys gear up
2: for your title defense this season. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, we're fortunate enough that we got a brand new turf field. Uh, district passed, community passed a bond, and and uh, we just finished it up. We're able to get on it second day, so that's kind of been the talk of the Talk of the town if you will being able to be out in the turf have you know I have a a real field uh finally which is a lot of fun um kids are enjoying that uh, soccer team's enjoying it so that's kind of been the the buzz for the first week but yeah I think our our guys are jacked to be out they're they've they've they worked really hard all off season they've uh they kind of have a chip on their shoulder you know I think the the general consensus is that hey they're not going to be as good as they were last year which maybe it's true maybe it isn't, but uh, they'd like to at least go out and, and sh- see on the field if they are. D-
0: does that part of things help with
2: the complacency issue at all that,
0: that sometimes we see in defending champion teams? Uh,
2: yeah, obviously. Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think it would be easier for a team to get complacent if they had a lot of returning people. We already did it. We're obviously going to do it again. Um, and so, so I think sometimes that can lead to some complacency. But when there's... Uh, a pretty high amount of turnover especially with a leader from a leadership standpoint Uh, we have a lot of guys that contributed and played a lot last year but kind of those you know the big three or the big four whatever uh, those guys are gone and so there's new people that are emerging and trying to establish themselves as the leaders that yeah I think that definitely helps us uh, with the complacency piece
1: we've had a number of practices now you guys open with uh, Mountain View to start week one Um, who are some guys that have maybe stood out uh, who impressed you so far the first um, few weeks of practice
2: uh, well, I think i really excited about where our defense is at. I think, you know, we have six to seven uh, returners that that started a, a multiple games for us. So I've been really impressed with their retention from last year. They kind of picked up, you know, a lot of times there's some regression and you have to go back to basics, which we do anyway, but they really kind of flew through that. And um, the, the retention with some of the higher end stuff we did later in the year, they they. Picked it right back up, and, and they're communicating so much better. So I think our defensive back back end, and I say linebackers and, and DBs, um, have really – we expected them to, but they kind of even exceeded our expectations, the way they're communicating, the way they're um, – the, the windows are pretty small to throw the ball into, which is really fun. Um, I think, uh, like like I've told people, Rocky Matea, senior uh, O-line, D-line, has had a fantastic offseason. I think he is going to just be a really good football player. Um, In this league and and around the state, Uh, I think Jack Grimstead's had a great off season as well. Kind, they both kind of changed their bodies a little bit, kind of shed some of the bad weight. uh, Got you know their footwork's better. They're you know a year smarter, a year more prepared. They've seen things, so they they, they're just playing really really well right now. Um, You know, in the backfield, obviously Isaiah Jones, uh, just a tremendous worker, um, just a real you know program guy that kind of buys in with everything. And now he's a senior, and he's going to be the guy and uh, so he's done a great job. Uh, Tobias has taken great strides from his freshman to sophomore year, uh, knows what the expectations are of him. Um, Darren Ulrich, who played last year on defense, but now is kind of doing some stuff on offense. He's having a really good camp, as well as Jake Bowen, um, who's, who's in the quarterback mix, but also really doing some really good things at receiver. So we're excited to see what he does um, out there.
1: One of the things that sticks out for me, I mentioned Mountain View. You guys have a pretty beefy schedule. Mountain View, obviously, a reigning 3A state semifinalist. The Seattle Times, uh, the day before first day of practices, put out their annual preseason rankings. I know coaches like you don't take much stock into it, but Eastlake, Chihuahua, Puyallup, two of your 4A Greater St. Helens Lake opponents are in the top 10 4A rankings, and then your 2A your week two opponent, two-way Silicon, is highly ranked in the 2 A's. What do you make of, of the schedule and how that can prepare you guys for another postseason run?
2: Yeah, I, mean, I think that's always kind of the plan is, especially when we have we have the luxury of having four or five non-league games. In some leagues, you don't. You just, here's your schedule, you're playing your your the teams that are in your league, and you have maybe one non-league. But uh, we're fortunate down here in the 4A that we have a few more non-leagues, which is good for two reasons. One, it, you can schedule what you want if if you feel like you need to you know, over a two-year cycle, you feel like you need to schedule uh, a a moderate non-league schedule or maybe one that kind of ramps up as the non-league goes on, depending on what kind of team you have, or if you just want to stack it and say, let's get after it, let's see who we are, you can do that. And um, that's kind of what we chose to do last year when they did that cycle. Uh, It worked out really well for us. I think we were really, really battle-tested when we got to the league schedule. We were a little banged up, but we, you know, we were battle-tested. We had been in games, tight games. We knew how to compete for four quarters um so it's really nice I think the other thing that's nice about it now obviously is that matters you know your non-league schedule matters it's not just a blind seed into a into a state tournament um you know they're looking at all those games and even if you lose them it doesn't matter if you played somebody tough um I, I know some of the discussion especially up north with those Kinko schools because you know you had your Mount size and your Woodenbills and your Bothells and all those teams played each other really close and you know you they're all not going to be undefeated. So, but Bothell, I know that you know they looked at that strength of schedule and said, you know, they lost by three points to Woodenville and two points to Mount Side. Like those are legit teams, and so those you can lose those games and it still helps you because of the way you performed. Um, so yeah, we're excited about our schedule. We're, you know, our, you know it's funny the first day the kids are, you know, that's the famous the kids they don't they don't respect us they don't respect us. And one of our senior leaders, which was awesome to have him say, is guys, it doesn't matter we play all those guys. At the end of the year, they'll know who's they'll know who's who. So and I thought it was really cool. Like he gets it. And and I think some of our guys do that. It's like, this doesn't matter. Who cares what those guys think? Um we get to play those teams. So that's good. That's good for us. It's a bonus for us. Those guys are all we have five top ten teams in the four A. We have a top ten, we have a like I know were they number two in Hawkinson and or in or uh in the two A. And then obviously, you know, you can say what you want about Mountain View. I guarantee you at the end of the year they're gonna be whatever. They'll be there uh, just because they did such a great job. So you guys get to prove it on the field.
0: Not only your non-league, but it seems like the 4A GSHL, particularly this year, is so tough. How exciting is it as a coach that you get to to be in this league and and get to compete? Some leagues you see a team be able to have kind of 3-4, just kind of coast coast in games. You guys don't have that luxury, but I imagine it's it's exciting to play in competitive high-level games.
2: Absolutely. No, I, I think I've said this from the beginning. It was one of the things when I took this job that I was really excited about um, was just I, I knew who I'd get to coach against week in and week out, and I have a ton of respect for those guys and what they do. Uh, I'm really excited to get to know Coach Moody at Heritage Better um, but yeah, it's every single week. You gotta, you've got to bring your A game because you know those guys are going to bring it. They're going to have their teams ready. They're going to be really well prepared. Their coaching staff will be well prepared. Um, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more fun when we get to do that. So
1: one of the off-season um, changes the WIA made in June is no longer is the Tacoma Dome host of the Gridiron Finals. So you won state titles in Oregon outside at Reiser and Otzen Stadium at Oregon State in Oregon, and obviously last year winning. Um, your third state championship, Unions First, at the Tacoma Dome. What was your reaction initially when they decided to do away with um, indoor football for championship weekend?
2: Uh, you know, mixed emotions. I think kind of sad uh, because, you know, growing up in Washington, that was it. Every time I drove through Tacoma as a player and then for the last 20 years as a coach, or I guess 10 in Washington or 12 in Washington as a coach, it was that's the goal. I mean, you had that. You'd see the flag on top of the Tacoma Dome, and that was where you're trying to get uh, from the time I was 15, You're like, you, and so that's sad because I think that was a really cool rallying cry for for teams across the state, um, and it was a a symbol, I guess, a symbol of of what you were trying to reach, um, and it was the same symbol every year, not just some random stadium in the state somewhere. So that's a little disappointing, um, but I do understand why. I mean, obviously, there, the cost is a huge factor, uh, and then with the the change in the seating—it really was not uh, conducive for for viewing. I didn't mind it as as a coach uh, slash player. I think it kind of helped with some of the distraction piece. The kids were really able to focus on the game and not all the you know you look around you're like oh my gosh look at all these people because um, they couldn't really see a lot of them. So uh, I thought that probably was good from a from a coach player standpoint. But yeah, the viewing wasn't uh, what it was, and, and obviously costs. So I'm excited. It'll be fun to. I enjoyed playing those games in Oregon outside. Uh, you know, in some of the best stadiums you know around. Obviously, I don't. I don't think it's probably going to be in in Husky Stadium or over in Pullman. But um, I know they're going to find there's some great stadiums around the state uh, that some great venues that they'll they'll put together um, for for that event. So it'll be it'll be good no matter where it's at.
0: Do you think it changes much about the title game itself? The possibility of, of rain. Um, you know, I, I heard Hawkinson talking about it early this season of of preparing for the weather, uh, you know, by that by that time, yeah. or, or do you feel like the kids have kind of experienced it enough by the time week 14 rolls
2: around? Yeah, I think that's probably more accurate. I think, um, you know, I heard uh, you know, Coach Cramey up north, um, I heard him speak one time, and he said, you got to begin with the end in mind, right? Begin with the end in mind, because we'd always play him in camp, and I'm like, why are you running double tight end? You know, he still was in gun or whatever he was doing, but he said, "Because we're gonna, it's gonna be crappy weather up there, you know. In November, we plan on playing, and it's not. We're gonna play on grass fields that aren't very good, and we're gonna play in some rain. And we need to have this. So I need to get this piece fixed because I know the rest of it we'll be able to do. And um, I thought that was really impactful for me. It's, I mean, I, it's what I do now. Is you always want to have that November offense ready to go, um, and and it does look different sometimes. So, but I think for the most part, now that the semifinals, you know, for the last couple of years haven't been inside anyway." You're playing outside on Thanksgiving, so um, you know you're you're going to have had weather. So I think you get to one game, and if if you're not prepared for it, then then that's on you as a coach. But uh, so I don't think it's that that big of a deal.
0: Speaking of the preparation piece, what's a day-to-day look like for you? as not only do you have to be a head football coach, but you're also the the athletic director. So let's let's just take the, the first day of school, for instance, once things kind of ramp back up. What's a day-to-day look like as you prepare for, you know, your week one matchup? Uh,
2: we actually was a little different because we've got some, some facility additions. So I spent the morning putting together soccer goals outside. Uh, but yeah, there's a ton of clearance, I and mean, that's the big thing. Uh, we want to make sure that that the athletes um can participate especially in the sports where they're maybe cut we, you know you don't want a kid sitting on the sidelines when they've got three days to make an impression and they they don't have some paperwork done or they don't have a physical or whatever so so that's the i think number one thing for us and, and i've got a great staff that helps with that but that's the big thing we'll probably have gosh 500 athletes uh try out for for a fall sport so that's really cool uh, when 30 25 30 percent of your student population is, is in an after school school fall sport um, we've also you know you're trying to get uh, making sure the officials and confirming confirming game times and locations with the officials with the opponents scheduling all the transportation piece um, which is big and, you know with in a multi-school district you've got you know we've got alternative high schools and uh, where we've got to get transport provide transportation so you kinda gotta navigate that so the fall you know fall sports is busy the first two weeks are, are pretty hectic um, you try to spend uh, you know a couple hours or an hour and a half a day in preparation for practice or whatever you know watching last night's practice um, looking at depth chart stuff moving people around having those conversations um, and then you know it starts to settle in right around you know game week will kind of settle in things will begin to die down here as far as you know what that's looking like with scheduling and with eligibility and then it's kind of business as usual so.
1: Union High School is known around Clark County as is, is one of the kind of elite schools when it comes to athletic programs I'm curious to know your take not only as a coach but as an ad what's key to um, building a successful program and, and then sustaining that success as well
2: uh, well I think it starts in the community I think that's the first piece I think the community is really supportive of that and they understand the value of uh, athletics and activities so so they they accommodate that and they help and they, they want that to be Uh, a strong piece to the educational uh, environment so that's one I think you have to have great leadership at the top we've obviously at at Union uh, been blessed with a great leader in Brian Grimstead for the last 12 years he has moved on to the district office uh, where hopefully and I'm I have no doubt that his leader that leader's same leadership will be able to impact a lot more now you know the entire district as opposed to one high school Uh, our new principal uh, uh, GP we call him Griffin Payton uh, I, th- I feel like he's going to be the same kind of a leader, really excited about uh, watching him come in and kind of make it his own and, and, and build on what uh, Grimm did. So I think that's the first piece. And I think you got to have coaches that buy into a common vision and understand um, about uh, sharing athletes. And I think one of the hardest things is when you're, you know you're looking at high school sports versus outside sports is – We see these kids, especially as in building, as you know, as educators. We see these kids in everything that they do. We see them as students. We see them before school. We see them in their social life. You know, we see them in athletics, and we understand that they have ten different things on their plate. A lot of them do. Uh, Where a lot of times you get, you know, a club coach or a coach that's not in building, um, and all they see them is that two and a half hours a day, and they don't know what's going on, and they don't understand that they have a passion for music and they have a passion for theater, and they and they're taking four AP classes and. You know, whatever that is. So I think it's really important that when we have as many in-building coaches as we do, which, which we're very fortunate to have, we kind of get a bigger picture of what that student-athlete's life looks like, and so we're able to to kind of tailor uh, an athletic educational experience uh, for that. Just because we we know more about the kid than, than some coaches do. So I think that's really important. Um, and I think I think you got to have kids that understand that. The days of rolling the ball out and playing at a high level are kind of behind us. There has to be some type of um, offseason training, year-round strength conditioning program. You have to, you have to, you know, we, we talk to kids about honing their bodies as much as they hone their craft. You know, you go in and you hit uh, two hundred balls in the cage every day, or you shoot a hundred free throws. Well, you also need to to train your body and make yourself a better athlete because that's what those other guys are doing too, uh, or girls, I guess I should say. Um, and I think our kids have bought into that and our coaching staffs have bought into that. So I think those are kind of the three or four biggest things. Community, leadership, uh, common goal among coaches, and then understanding that um, there's more to a sport than just the skills of that sport that you, know, there's, you need to train your body in a bunch of ways to be able to handle different types of situations. And I think our kids and our coaches understand those things. Well
1: said. Awesome, awesome. Okay, anything else you want to throw in there? No, thanks for coming out,
2: guys.
0: That was fun. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we are back from our interview with Rory Rosenbach, and we are in the Columbian studio uh, to talk about what games on tap in week one should be the games that Clark County football fans are going to.
1: I'll start out with where I'm headed Friday night. Uh, third straight year headed to uh, McKenzie Stadium. This will be the second game of the McKenzie doubleheader between Union and Mountain View. Last two years, um, very close games, separated by, I think, 20 combined points, if memory serves me right. Um, I don't see this being much of a difference. Both of these teams, obviously, coming off historic seasons. You look at Mountain View reaching the state semifinals for the first time since 2002, but 21 new starters. So how does that play into a factor for week one? Flip side, you got the Union Titans, lost 14 all-league seniors, but their defense and team speed is, is still there. So this, this game, I would say, probably comes down to the final couple possessions. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. It would surprise me more if it's a two or a three touchdown victory for either team. So expect, expect a close game, expect a good game. Um, both games, really, of the doubleheader. The, uh, the first game at 4.30 is between Heritage and Evergreen, but followed uh, by 7 o'clock between Union and Mountain View. So that is my first game to see of the three.
0: Union uh, has such a tough opening with Mountain View, but really the, the rest of their schedule, Union seems stacked from, is, from week one to week nine.
1: It is, and, and Rory mentioned this a couple minutes ago in his interview. Mountain View, still a come ranked in the top three of the Seattle Times' preseason two-way polls. Eastlake, another top ten team. That was a junior-heavy team from last year. Chihuahua, a lot of coaches feel that that might be the best team east side of the mountains. And then Puyallup, a Saturday night game week five before opening league play. So that is beefy, big boy, whatever words you want to use to describe union schedule. That is that is a massive schedule. So they will be battle-tested they could be five and zero. Oh, they could be three and two, four and one. They could be zero oh and five, but still compete for a state championship. So that's that's what the Union Titans have on tap. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do the first five weeks of the season.
0: That's a coach that you know he gets to build the schedule as the athletic director. That's a coach that believes in his team over the course of a two-year cycle for sure.
1: He does. He does. And, and you're looking. Oh, why is why is Union playing come a two-way team? If you remember, last year was their trip down to California. Rory Rosenbach was pretty certain that it wasn't going to be a return trip for that California team to come up here. So he wanted, like you said, trying to build that schedule, toughen that schedule up. What is the best opponent they can find? And Emeka Abuka, one of the top athletes in the nation, is a junior at Silicon. They've got a good offensive line. They got a a quarterback who's familiar with Emeka, that the two grew up with each other. That's going to be a great week two game.
0: Um, to stay in the 4A GSHL Week 1, I'm going to be at Doc Harris to cover Lincoln versus Camus. The reason I'm excited is because com- when I came down to the Columbian, the first thing people told me was, you gotta check out a game at Doc Harris. And I get to do so week one. So thanks, Tim, for signing me this week one game because everyone's telling me, go see Doc Harrison. And, and I'm really excited. I think it's going to give a good jump start into the season uh, of just getting back that feel of football. And, and the Camus offensive line gets their gets their first test. You know, how good is this beefy offensive line up front? We get to see it from a, a Lincoln team that's had a lot of success over the, over the past recent years.
1: If you look at last year's matchup, this was a game, that Lincoln just ran the table the first first half, first three quarters, and Jake Blair and that offense kind of rallied back. They fell short. But this is gonna, again, for Camus, where do they sit? This is I believe they're calling it the revenge tour for Camus. They didn't make the state playoffs last season for the first time in eight years. They went five and five, another tough schedule, but that week one against Lincoln, you know it's a well-coached team. They got a couple of, of new additions via transfer. It's going to be a dogfight, and you're going to enjoy the the Doc Harris experience. Right,
0: right, and as I mentioned, I think on our our week one podcast, there's nothing better than watching a great offensive line, and and uh, any any paper maker game this year, you're going to see you're going to see some great great uh, blocking up front.
1: Absolutely, no doubt.
0: Um, to, to go into some of the, the, one of the other games this week, uh, it's going to come as, I think, a surprise to most people that we're going to list this game, but we'll give you the reason why it's R.A. Long, uh, at, or verse Fort Vancouver at Kiggins. Uh, what are you looking at this game? What, what's interesting about this game against two teams that went winless season, what win last season? Why should people go watch this game?
1: Yeah. Looking at, at the schedule, um, Obviously, if you remember, we have talked about this before and it was reported months ago that Fort Vancouver is playing an independent schedule. And so they're trying to schedule opponents and teams that they feel they they have a better shot at competing against. And and looking at this game, I think Fort Vancouver has a, a legitimate shot to not only be successful in this game, but to win this game. Talking with Neil Lomax last week, he's got about 35 kids out. And maybe 8 or 10 have a legitimate football experience. But he's high on these kids. And he's so badly, and you can see it in his voice when you're talking to him and listening, he so badly wants these teams, this team to experience a victory. Fort hasn't won a game in 23 consecutive games dating back to the middle of the 2016 season. And you can see it. These kids want to stay at Fort. They want to try to turn this program around. And they're going up against teams like 2B Winlock, Cedar Park Christian, a 1A program up in Bothell. But looking at what Ari Long returns, and they're, they're a little down as well when it comes to experience at the varsity level. This is going to be a competitive game for both of these teams and and that's what really these two schools need.
0: Yeah, and after last season with both going winless and and like you mentioned Forts, you know, past recent, you know few years, uh, this is a game where you can see the program to start to turn, I think, for one of these teams. You know, you you start off you're 1 and 0. Well, you know, so, some of these young guys Ari long could start up to 13 sophomores. There's been a lot of talk about, you know, what's the possibility that Ari Long's varsity program doesn't finish the year because of how thin they are on upperclassmen numbers they have about 30 kids out 35 kids out but a lot of them are freshmen and sophomores so for one of these teams they get that building block they get that that feather in their cap early on in the season that keeps kids to buy in and keeps them motivated and and you know you can't tell me that a a week one win isn't going to keep more kids out throughout the season you know rather than if you're sitting there week six oh and six you know what's the kids motivation at that point to continue to come out and work hard for for a coach this is going to be a huge huge asset for one of these coaches to build around and and that's why i'm really looking forward to this game you know it may not be the most most fun you know fun to watch as far as a technical aspect it might not be the best football you've ever seen but the emotional side of this, the, that, that side of thing, the, the story of it, I think is going to be you know a, re- a really big one for, for one of the teams and, and unless it ends in a tie, I guess.
1: Um, I'm <laughs> trying to think. I don't think they can. I think they'll go Kansas tiebreaker until someone <laughs> scores, which you never know. I've, I've covered a number of uh, double triple overtime games in, in my career, and, and certainly those are the fun ones, so you never know what can happen. Right. But talking with Trevor Navarsa, the quarterback for Fort Vancouver, he didn't play last year. But he decided he wanted to come out and, and make a difference with this team as, as a senior. Like I said, 35 kids out. Um, we'll see if, if the Trappers can do it. I, I have high confidence that this program can get a victory and and hopefully it will happen in week one
0: the lumberjacks are in a similar position they have two or three seniors out that haven't played before and they they see you know a program that that's in need of bodies and they see an opportunity to get some play time and and return to the sport they they kind of loved as kids so uh i think it's going to be a fun one Uh, That's it for, for the episode three of the Full Circle Podcast. We're really excited. Week one, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. For all of our updates from Friday, Uh, it sounds like we're going to do some Instagram stories and some highlights from those. So um, I think we're going to do a lot of cool, fun, different things this year for the football season. So be looking forward to that. We are, of course, always available, all of our content on 360preps.com. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Google, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts.